Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Hello, everybody. I want to share our text for today, and then I want to pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. We want to talk about stewardship today. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Uh, Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. There's one requirement for a steward, and we're all our stewards. There's one requirement, and that is that we're faithful. Let's pray. Father, make us faithful stewards of all that you've entrusted us. I thank you so much, Lord, for ministering to everyone that's watching today, ministering your life from your word. And may we get that revelation of stewardship that our lives are not our own. And may we be faithful with everything you've placed in our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get into it. Uh, This morning, I've entitled my message, Church uh, and Economic system. Among other things, the church is an economic system uh, for this purpose, to advance the gospel. But it's an economic system because we handle funds, uh, receive funds under certain specific regulations, how we handle funds. And um, I don't know if everybody knows how that all works, so I'm going to try to explain it, uh, probably give you a little offense alert right up front. Um, It should be helpful, but I may say things about how we run the church that uh, you hadn't seen before. And simply talking about money can be a tad offensive, but I encourage you to stay with me uh, right through the whole whole session. Uh, it won't be that long today um, because it's just pretty quiet here. I'm gonna have to laugh my own jokes as well. I'm in a room by myself and, um, and I just find this a little bit different, but I'm happy to be able to serve the body of Christ this way. Okay, the church is an economic system. Um, <clears throat> uh, as, I, as I try to share uh, some thoughts about uh, fiscal responsibility. Um, even though I wasn't taught it, um, and the church is often accused of mishandling funds, or that that's our only purpose. Um, and we also have the spiritual rationale is the church is not about money. And uh, while that's true, we also have to transact with funds because we live in a, a society that requires that. And um, so maybe we can be, let's be first, I'm going to talk about responsibility, fiscal responsibility primarily. So let's be first responders, not first reactors. It's just a one-liner, it's okay. Um, Let me just talk uh, a bit about, a little bit of review from last week, how I'd said that you can't be a student of scripture or follower of Jesus and not be generous at some level. Uh, What happens when God transforms our life is we have a fresh revelation of freedom. And uh, one of those things I think requires um, how how we handle our funds. And uh, while this is not a specific talk about, it is about finances, but it's a little broader than finances. It's about uh, a little vision I want to share. Stay with me to the end. And I want to share about uh, our responsibility for church assets. And um, so with that introduction, let me just get going here. Uh, reading from um, uh, this week from uh, Ge- uh, Generous 
Giving um, gathering a couple of years ago, Tim Keller, um, he said this, nobody thinks they're greedy. Nobody in all my years of ministry have I heard, uh, all, in all my years of, as a minister, I have heard almost every kind of confession, but no one has ever came up to me and said, I spend too much money on myself. No one. He goes on to say that nobody has ever done that, but here is what I want to consider. If Jesus talks about greed and materialism 10 to 20 times more than he talks about other sins, he uh, and he says that nobody ever thinks that they're doing it, then perhaps we should start with a working hypothesis that it's probably a problem for each of us, myself included. Uh, Andy Stanley had said once that until until Jesus is first in our finances, Jesus isn't first. Uh, you're a follower. Uh, you're not a follower, pardon me. You're a user, and Judas tried that. So I want us to imagine uh, what it would have been like in the 8th century. Charlemagne actually... Um, he instituted a civil law that tithing was uh, mandatory and even enforceable by imprisonment. Uh, we don't live in that culture, but uh, it's because it's meant to be uh, a free will offering and the free will giving of tithes. So the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says that it's the desire or the longing or the love of money, which Tim Keller mentioned, that these things impact us all. Um, we've learned last week that we don't own anything, but we steward everything. This is a lordship concept, that he is lord of it all. And, um, and we also found that it's not just what we do with these resources that we steward. It's our attitude towards them as well. It's meant to be cheerful. And it's meant to be a response out of what God has done for to us and for us and in us that we begin to respond by giving back to him because he gave so generously to us. We learned last week that, or two weeks ago, that money magnifies, uh, that it's a revealer of our hearts. So if you have um, a lot of money and you enter into, for example, a marriage, money just opens that wound a little bit wider. Lack of money in a marriage, of course, can hurt quite a bit and bring all kinds of challenges. But, but it, what it simply does is it magnifies underlying issues that are already there. It's the same in any relationship. If you were critical and suspicious and get a bunch of money, you'd be now super critical and super suspicious. So it doesn't change us. It can't heal us, even though sometimes it gives us the illusion that it can do that. But uh, it can't. It reminds us in Matthew chapter 5 of our motivations, not just what we give, but how we give. And I think all through scripture, you'd find that we're to pray, we're to work hard, we're to plan, we're to give, we're to save. And the result of that is that we'd be a blessing to generations. Um, I've asked the Lord one day uh, back, uh, probably two decades ago, um, why we were dealing with limited resources in the church. I said, Lord, why, aren't, why don't you tr trust me? like with millions of dollars, why is it thousands of dollars? And it was just like the Lord said very clearly to me, is you can't, you, you can't handle it. You don't have a system, an economic system. You don't have the systems to be able to handle it. So what I did back then, it was probably about 2001 or two or three, uh, I began to put systems in place and people in place and uh, clear, strong, 
accountability systems in place. And wouldn't you know it, within a very short period of time, we were handling millions. And by the way, our um, our um, our budget, our annual budget that we currently handle is uh, 1.3 million per year. Um, those of you who are math whizzes, let me help you with the math. That's $25,000 per week. And uh, we're responsible for looking after that. And uh, if I can be just uh, transparent and pragmatic about this whole process, uh, that's what I'm trying to do today. So historically, um, the church has ran on tithes and offerings, the free will tithes and the free will offerings of people. And um, we're invited each week to return the tithe. Um, it's not ours biblically as I see it, we're to return the tithe. And uh, the release of offerings that are regular, proportionate, uh, and cheerful. And the result of that, when we give in faith, we're giving as unto the Lord. We're not giving to Lorne, we're not giving to C3. We're giving to the Lord, and then the Lord blesses this in our lives. And that's very obvious by most of the people that I get to see in the church and hear your stories. Um, you'll look through the um, scriptures and you'll find that there was always a need of finances. Um, the local church needs money to function. Uh, that shouldn't be any surprise to anybody. Jesus needed money to function. The apostles needed money to function. And uh, just reading from Acts chapter 4, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 11 and verse 27, this is referring to the New Testament church. It says, um, verse, um, where am I? Sorry, I have my sticker in the wrong place. Uh, During this time, five prophets traveling from Jericho to Antioch, one of them named Agabus, he stood up in one of the meetings to predict by the Spirit that a great famine was coming on the entire Roman world. Uh, So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. They did this, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. I think that was a profound moment. Uh, They said, here's what they said. They said, tough times are coming. Let's receive an offering. Um, They said that um, there's a storm coming, a famine is coming, and none of us know specifically what's ahead. But as any good farmer knows, you don't get a harvest unless you put some seed in the ground. And so um, I just love this because he says, uh, prompted by the Spirit, like a famine is coming, so let's receive an offering. And they needed needed money to function. So that isn't any surprise to anybody, I don't think. But I just want to try to be um, a little bit more practical, if I may. Uh, In the Faith Communities report, uh, Faith Communities Today report, pardon me, uh, many, they said many believers don't think about how a church's bills get paid uh, any more than they spend time wondering why the internet is free. So um, if that's the case, I'm going to share with you a little bit about that. They think some entities are uh, paying the bill. I'm just trying to, I wonder if I can get my notes turned around here. Uh, maybe not. And so they, they think that their gifts go towards just how, um, just little extra things at the church. So we shouldn't assume that everybody knows how the church finances work. So I'm just going to give you a little um, overview of that. I think that new believers as well need to be informed of the church's financial realities and their biblical uh, responsibilities. But there are reasons why finances go up and down in the church. And I think one of them is we're meant to teach on that on a regular basis and uh, help people understand what the Bible says about how we steward finances Now, a lot has changed over the years. A lot has changed since, uh, for example, just after World War II, 
uh, a one income family was pretty common. Uh, it's not the same anymore. And uh, we see over the last few decades in, in increasing burden on uh, middle class families, which is a high percentage of all Canadian families. We see inflation rates changing and higher standards of living. We see in increased educational costs and uh, widely available credit. Once again, Canada's falling in love with debt. Um, Ministry Today, Thomas Rayner, suggested that a number of factors for the decline in giving at churches, but uh, he specifies these two things, changing of tax laws and the decline in attendance play a huge role in as well as general approaches to giving that have changed over the years. He goes on to note that one of the most reticent groups are those, we would call them uh, millennials. They're born between 1980 and 2000. Um, simply, uh, they want to know, this is what his survey said, they want to know that the church is a good steward of contributed funds. I think that's fair. I think everybody should know that. Um, I'm going to try and break it down a bit. By the way, those born before 1950, known as the builders, are the most generous uh, people alive. Uh, they're happy to give to an institution, but subsequent generations are more likely to give to a cause. Uh, builders are fading along with the institutional motivated giving. Uh, it's changed. Another study distinctly said that this silent generation along with boomers uh, from 1946 to 1963, they feel the biggest difference through the giving of money. Uh, Gen X, as well as Y believe what matters most is the difference that's made and that volunteering and spreading of the word is more impactful. So it's up to us as a church or to not just show how we're using the funds, but invite people to be part of that as well. It's quite interesting. I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 25. Um, this is such a profound passage, but I want to try to touch on the church as an economic system for advancing the gospel. We don't just handle money for the sake of handling money. We're not a bank. Uh, we steward money. We steward what the Lord gives to us. And we believe that every, every dollar, every toonie that's given to us is given sacrificially. And we need to treat it as the Lord's money because that, in fact, is exactly um, what it is. And so Matthew 25, um, I found this... Uh, parable of these three servants, I found it really intriguing because it's right be, just before chapter 24, talking about all the events of the end, uh, the second coming of Christ. And just before the last part of chapter 25, it's talking about the judgment. And uh, in, in this little passage is just snuck right in there. And he's just talked about the 10 uh, foolish, sorry, the five foolish, five wise uh, bridesmaids about being ready uh, for and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and practically speaking, you and I live now between chapter 25, verses 18 and verse 19. That's where we're living today. And we're going to, I think this is what's the most stunning, we're going to be given, have to give an account for how we steward what was given to us. And so this is known as uh, talking about the parable of the talents. And uh, a talent typically was about 20 years wages. So it was significant. And it's a talking about the responsibility to use what you've been given. So five talents weren't given to the one talent person. It would have crushed him. But to whom much is given, much is required. We shared about that last week. And to whom, um, when, when a lot is given for someone, then a lot will be expected of them. That's all, really all it says. And it says that there's like five, one is given five, one's given two, one's given one. And he says, um, and uh, he gave the money to invest 
while he was gone, he gave five bags of gold, I'm reading NLT, two bags of gold to another, one bag of gold to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. I think that's an important little piece to note right there, according to their ability. And, um, and then it says the servant received five. He immediately went out and invested the money or the, and um, invested the money and soon doubled it. The, um, the servant with two bags of gold also went out right away and doubled it. Uh, that's a good return. So Jesus, that he's looking for a return on his investment on the things he's been given to us. Not This is money, but I believe it refers to all forms of assets. And, um, so, and then lastly, the servant who received the one bag of gold dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Um, a long time. Now, here's where we're living. Um, after a long time, their master had uh, returned from a long trip. And he gave them, sorry, he asked them, called them to give account of how they'd used the money. The servant had been entrusted with the five. He said, sir, I've got five more. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't we all want to hear that? And uh, you've been faithful to handling a small amount. I'm going to give you more. That's the the the... The reward for work well done is more work. And uh, and I think that's great because we've learned some things, right, in this in this transaction. Uh, next came the servant who had received two bags of gold with the report, sir, he gave you two bags of gold and uh, I've doubled the amount. Master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful handling small, so I'm going to give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate. How awesome is that? I love that Jesus likes to celebrate. Uh, and then lastly, the servant with one bag, um, sir, I know that you're a hard man. His image of God had such a big bearing of what he did, right? Um, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting crops you don't plant really, and, and gathering crops that you don't cultivate really, as if the, the master didn't know about sowing and reaping. Uh, I was afraid I would lose your, your money, so I hid it in the earth. Uh, and here it is. This, to me, is, is so telling. And he says, you wicked and lazy servant. He called two servants faithful and one unfaithful. And it's interesting to me that it wasn't that he did evil things with what he's been given. He simply did nothing with what he was given. And so I think that's important for us to know. He did nothing. And the reason he said he saw through his excuses, the reason was strictly fear. Um, I'm, I'm just really intrigued with this passage. And I want to just talking about uh, when we prayed that the Lord would give us five acres. Um, if you look around us, we have seven acres but all I, I thought five acres is going to be all I need to fulfill the mission that he's given me on the earth. He gives us seven. So so what are we going to do with the other two acres? I'm glad you're thinking that because I've been thinking that ever since we arrived. Uh, what are we going to do with the other two acres? I want to use it to bless our city, to bless our community, and to bless the world. That's what I want to use it for. And um, And I think that the Lord wants us to leverage the assets we've been given and not bury them and not ignore them. So to steward in such a way as to generate income. So I think that's what he's called us to do. That's what I'd like us to consider doing as we move into the future. I want to leverage the assets that the Lord has given us. And there's many. One is just the acres. The other is the all of the talent and the gifts and, that we have within our uh, local church right now. Um, but we need to consider the same. Uh, I know we often teach people about reducing their debt, being generous in giving, prioritize their spending, but we need to be doing the same thing as as a church, um, as a as a local church. Just just think with me for a minute, because because how might we bless our community? How might we bless our world 
and still generate sustainable income? Well, we're working on a plan right now. Week by week, tremendous pressure is um, uh, rests on myself and our board to meet the fixed costs, make payroll, maintain public facility, uh, a public facility, of course, with all the safety uh, measures we need to look at. But uh, what if we could build a social arm that re re relieved the food, any food shortages in Calgary, one postal code at a time? What, uh, one postal code at a time? What if we could do that? I want to invite us to think bigger and broader and advancing the gospel by stewarding and leveraging the resources that we already have. Uh, I wasn't taught very much about church economics. My views were learned, have been learned biblically and experimentally over the past 33 years. Um, and most times desperation led to innovation uh, for me. But it's happening again as I look around and I see that the church is changing and church uh, life is changing. Um, some assume that the church is faith-based and should depend wholly on the Lord and not pursue additional income than weekly tithes and offerings. But personally, we all go to doctors and uh, dentists and other things. Why, why can't we all just then live by faith? Why do we need other things? Well, it's the same with us. It's not a lack of faith at all that we leverage our resources. It actually is a stewardship issue and responsibility. Um, I want to just maybe liken, a, build a comparison to another service that we're used to. And, um, and I know the church is meant to live on tithes and offerings that are free will. And we wait for people to respond in faith. But just think for a minute, but what if the church was around like a restaurant? Um, what would happen if people just dined and dashed? How long would that business be able to stay in business? What happens at a restaurant? Well, they provide a meal and service and an environment. You receive a bill for more than the cost of the meal, but the additional costs that have been accrued to satisfy uh, you. That includes a margin of profit to, to sustain the place, scale the business, and generate a return on investment. Well, may it's not a perfect uh, comparison, but on Sunday, uh, you receive music and teaching and age-appropriate opportunities for your kids to grow. Uh, discipleship, outreach, baptism, weddings, dedications, funerals, prayer. We provide food for um, shut-in, compassion ministries, missions long-term, as well as all the background stuff of uh, legal, keeping ourselves legally covered uh, to all the local and governmental compliances, as well as economy, or sorry, uh, accounting. So we do that. We provide that as a service, and you can just walk in and enjoy it. And we want you to simply do that, to enjoy it. And I've been guilty many times not to be able to, not to share the needs um, to sound too dramatic or something about what we need. And so as an economic system, that's how we work. Uh, and I think that I, the other thing I've been guilty at is telling, saying to people, well, if you're a first time guest here, don't feel any obligation to give. Um, but if you were to think about that, what if a first time diner, if he went to a, a, a nice restaurant, that had prepared this beautiful atmosphere and environment and this great food for him. And they said, you know, if you're a first time diner, there's no reason for you to contribute. Uh, how long would it take before that restaurant would be out of business? Um, hardly a perfect comparison, but not bad. Just work with me as I wrap up here. Um, it's easy to just remind yourself that because we're people of faith, there's no sense talking about 
an economic system? Well, the pragmatics of it all is that we have four layers of um, that we have have in place to make sure that we maintain fiscal responsibility. The first one is we have an accounting department where our bookkeeper looks after everything that's bound by our charter and the charities laws. And we go over that um, meticulously. Um, the dollars that are spent then, each dollar, is accounted for by our statements being audited. And every month, uh, we have a volunteer board of directors that look over line upon line upon line, every dollar that's being spent where it's gone. And we treat that with absolute and sincere, um, a high level of trust that the Lord has given us to handle the funds that have been giving, because we believe that they are his to give. So, or that, that have been given to us. So, uh, the, and the last layer that we have, and that is a public accountability and everything that's done within the charities, of course, they're public. Um, if you need more information, you're welcome to, and let you look at the lines if you need to. Um, but it's all public. It's online. You can look at any church, um, how they, what their ratios and what they spend and it's all public. So we've got these four layers are always going on, but the most important layer is the fifth layer. So there really is another one and that's, we have to answer to the Lord and every one of us must do so with our own and we must do so as a church. So, um, that's church as an economic system. Uh, I hope that's been helpful that, um, I'm just trying to think of anything that I might have forgotten about here. Um, I think that maybe in closing, I'll just wanted to remind you this, there's not going to be a special offering today. And I uh, am deeply grateful to a church that's been incredibly generous. And um, it's a great honor to be able to serve you and to be able to lead you and watch what the Lord has been doing over the last number of years. But I believe it's our time. The tide is turning as well for us, the church, to step into greater areas of influence we're looking to develop the two East Acres, those two acres. You've noticed we've been advertising and looking for to go into a joint venture of some kind. We think the next, this is one, going to be one of the most influential opportunities for us. And we will keep you posted. Um, each of us, each week, are to give as unto the Lord, as we've been blessed, proportionately and cheerfully and without strings attached. And as we sow, the Lord always brings back a harvest. Um, it's been said and proven of tithers that they are more likely to live without credit, without on their credit cards, on, other than like 30 days. They're, they've been proven to be more likely to not have a mortgage. And uh, as well, they've been proven to live more debt-free. Um, I think that it's time for us to become aware um, that the Lord is inviting us to higher levels of fiscal accountability. Today, I'm not asking everybody who to try tithing. I'm asking you to dig into the scriptures. Uh, I'm asking you to consider uh, how in the future you can pray for us as we step into a level, another layer, uh, another dimension, which is phase three for us of influencing our community. I always want to do more for our community, our city and the world. Um, by the way, we're not planning on putting any extra pressure on the church. We believe the Lord has given us these two acres to steward and to use to be a blessing. So um, I've wanted to be pragmatic and transparent and try to share with you what's ahead. 
And I know that many of you are facing financial challenges and maybe some health challenges today. So let me pray for us as we close today. Father, I thank you that the tide is turning and I thank you that a wind is blowing and it's blowing away some of the cobwebs and some of the dust of old thinking models and it's allowing us to see with clear eyes that you've given us eyes to see. The scales can fall off and we can see opportunities, both in the marketplace, online, in our world, to help us to have more uh, opportunity to steward greater resources. So Lord, I thank you what you've trusted people with. I pray for relief uh, for those who are under financial pressure today. And, and I thank you that you promised favor and blessing. Uh, I thank you, Father, that you are our healer and anyone that's feeling or their home is feeling under a cloud of um, a disease or disorder. God, I declare today for your provision for healing for every individual who's feeling some either fear of uh, a COVID-19 infection or they're wrestling with it right now. God, I declare your healing over each one of them. Father, I thank you that soon we'll be able to be back together as a body, hugging each other, rejoicing and lifting your name up high. Thank you, Father, that you've been such a blessing to our body, to everybody that's listening today. And I thank you that you're leading us in higher levels of fiscal accountability as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for joining me in my office. I have not felt completely alone, even though it feels like I'm talking to myself. God bless you. And uh, next week, our accountant's going to be sharing, and then he's going to be starting a Bible study. And um, just continue to pray for our staff that we get back together and we begin to um, function as a staff once again. God bless you all. God bless From Pastor Lauren's office. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.